and welcome to SSI Live. You've long known the Strategic Studies Institute, or SSI, at the U.S. Army War College as the go-to location for issues related to national security and military strategy with an emphasis on geostrategic analysis. SSI conducts strategic research and analysis to support the U.S. Army War College curricula, assist and inform Army, DOD, and U.S. government leadership, and serve as a bridge to the wider strategic community. Now we're bringing you access to SSI analyses, scholars, and guests through this, the SSI Live podcast series. Thanks for joining us. Hello and welcome to this edition of SSI Live. My name is John Denny, and I'm a research professor of National Security Studies here at the Strategic Studies Institute, or SSI, at the U.S. Army War College. It's Friday, September 2nd, 2022, and today I'm joined by not one, not two, but three distinguished colleagues and Russia experts to discuss the recent passing of former Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev. Dr. Bob Hamilton is a research professor of Russian and Eurasian Studies at SSI. Previously, Bob was a member of the teaching faculty at the Army War College, and prior to that, he was an active duty colonel and a foreign area officer in the Army. Now, Bob has the unique distinction of having served as the successor to both of my other guests today, and they are Dr. Craig Nation, currently trying to pretend he's retired while working as an adjunct faculty <laughs> member at Dickinson College. Previously, Craig was the director of Russian and Eurasian Studies at the Army War College, where he taught for 21 years. He's also taught at Elizabethtown College, the University of Southern California, Johns Hopkins, and Cornell. And Dr. Steve Blank. Steve is a senior fellow at the American Foreign Policy Council, a D.C.-based think tank. Previously, he was a research professor of Russian studies at SSI for over two decades. And before that, he taught at the Air War College in Alabama and at the University of Texas at San Antonio. Now, all three of these Russia experts have published widely and extensively, and they are all thought leaders in this space. And so I could think of no better guest to invite to uh, discuss with me the passing of Mikhail Gorbachev and his legacy. Now, before we get to that legacy, let me begin by asking each of you about your recollections of Gorbachev's time in office. Now, he didn't really serve for that long by the standards of, of uh, Brezhnev, for example, or certainly Stalin, just in office from 1985 to, 19, to 1991. But what are your most important takeaways or recollections of that period of 85 to 91? Uh, Bob, let me start with you. Sure. Thank you, John. So um, actually, I probably have uh, the, the fewest personal recollections of, of Gorbachev's time in office because his time in office corresponded to my time uh, as a cadet at West Point and in my very early post, uh, post-college days before I was really engaged in uh, being a scholar on Russia and Eurasia. But uh, my father was a, a Soviet foreign area officer in the army. And so um, I do remember in March of 1985, right after Gorbachev had been named general secretary, um, my father and my parents had come up to West Point. Uh, it was the end of my or the spring of my first year there. And I remember my father talking to his former Russian department colleagues about Gorbachev and what it meant for the Soviet Union. Uh, and even then, it was clear, I think, in March of 85 that he was different. Um, and that he was uh, more reform-minded uh, than the previous uh, several general secretaries. He was from a younger generation. Uh, and uh, so even then in March of 1985, even as a, an 18-year-old cadet at West Point, sort of listening to the generation ahead of me discuss him, it was clear that uh, something different was happening in the Soviet Union. 
<clears throat> and then I would jump forward to the coup attempt of August 1991. Uh, at that point, I was a young lieutenant, um, you know, still in school, uh, learning to be an army officer. But um, I remember being glued to the television uh, for the entire duration of the coup attempt, uh, watching it unfold. And I think actually that was what cemented my desire to become a foreign area officer and to study Russia and Eurasia. Um, I'll bring my father back into this again. When it came time to make that decision, a few years later, I originally wanted to study the, the Balkans because that was when the Balkan wars were unfolding. And I thought that would be an interesting place to be a foreign area officer. And my father said something uh, that stuck with me. And he said, look, eventually the Balkans will get their problems sorted out. Uh, Russia will always matter whatever direction it goes in, whether it whether it turns to the West or turns away, it's always going to matter. And so um, for that reason, uh, mainly I changed my focus from the Baltics to Russia and Eurasia and started the career uh, as a foreign area officer. So Gorbachev, sort of the bookends of his time in power that, you know, his his uh, selection as general secretary in March of 85 and then the coup attempt in August of 1991, which was really the beginning of the end. Uh, of his time in the beginning of the end of the Soviet Union, right? Because it folded, uh, it, it formally ceased to exist that December. Uh, those are my personal recollections of his time in power. And uh, I think uh, uh, it had an effect, right, on the trajectory of my career and probably a lot of other people um, who decided to study Russia uh, based upon uh, what they saw unfolding in the late 80s and early 90s. Thanks, Bob. All right, Steve, let me turn to you. What what do you recall of, of that time period, the late late 80s, very early 90s? Well, you know, in retrospect, it's a time of astonishment. Um, George Kennan observed that the advent of somebody like Gorbachev was a miracle. And if you knew the Soviet Union and the kinds of leadership it was producing, this man seems to have come out of nowhere. Uh, it, it, it broke all the rules for what a Russian was at that time Soviet leader could be. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, the astonishment also, you know, begins to turn to a, a sense of a looming tragedy and disaster because, uh, as, an, as many scholars pointed out at the time, Gorbachev, uh, for all of his intellectual acumen and character, failed to understand major issues in his own society. And as a result, he he was adrift once it became clear that something had to be done. Um, and if you now read the scholarship that's coming out, particularly Vlad Zubak's book, which is terrific, on uh, Gorbachev, uh, you see that Gorbachev really had no idea what to do. And he kept giving speeches and reading Lenin because he believed that Lenin, for some reason, was a Democrat. So, I mean, you have a man who has one of the obituary uh, columns in the newspaper said was greater than his than his statesmanship. Uh, he, he ended the gulag, which is unthinkable in Soviet terms and unfortunately, which has come back. He lib he contributed immensely to the liberation of Central and Eastern Europe. And he gave the Soviet people freedom, but he didn't know what to do in order to make sure that freedom under law would survive and that they could have a transition from empire into a, into some sort of commonwealth or series of states uh, on his periphery. And as a result, he lost the, uh, what the Chinese call the mandate of heaven. And uh, Russia has, over the last 30 years, unfortunately regressed 
a great deal back to where he left it. Uh, last thing he said, apparently, when he went into the hospital was that Putin had destroyed his life's work. And unfortunately, uh, much of that is true. Well, we're going to get to uh, that's actually my next question for you all is what what has this meant for Russia? What's his legacy for Russia today? But before I do that, Craig, let me turn to you and ask you to uh, take us back to the late 1980s. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that period? What do you recall as Gorbachev came to power as this relatively fresh faced uh, leader of, uh, of the Politburo? Well, I was uh, in those years. I was uh, a lecturer at the U.S. Army Russian Institute in Garmisch. I uh, worked with our soldiers who, in Gobligan and Batolts, whose job was to monitor Soviet uh, electronic communications. I was up to my neck in all this business. I was in the Soviet Union uh, often. Uh, so those that's what shapes my recollections. I, I, uh, my my recollections, and just two comments I make briefly. One is just how uh, much changed inside the Soviet Union, at least in the cities where I spent most of the time. Uh, converse, the, con- the context of conversations, interpersonal conversations was transformed. Different things were happening uh, that it, it was like Steve was saying, it was uh, impossible to imagine that this, this Sovietism was, was, was capable of, of, of bouncing around that way. So it's very dynamic, and I don't think we should forget that when we talk about Gorbachev's failings, which are many, obviously. Uh, he opened the door to uh, uh, a big wind, and that was quite evident uh, in everyday life and on the street in many different ways. That's one recollection. On the, our side, I remember how much, and you won't hear this so often today, how, how much skepticism there was inside our policy elites about Gorbachev and the change, Robert Gates, for example. A, a change he was uh, uh, was this real was this all made up what, what's he talking about Lenin for he's the general secretary of the communist party of the Soviet Union what do you expect don't be deluded don't be naive this was this was um, a more powerful stream of thought and it had more effect upon the way the United States reacted to the initiatives we call perestroika than we might think retrospectively all right thank you Craig uh, let's get back now to something uh, that, that Steve had raised, and that is the uh, the legacy of Gorbachev, specifically on on Russia. Steve, you you foreshadowed for us, I think, some of your thoughts on this. But what would you assess as as uh, Gorbachev's most important legacy or legacies with regard to uh, Russia itself today? Well, uh, as a historian, uh, I see Gorbachev in the line of failed reformers. Uh, of which there are many in Russian history, because the forces of reaction, which have prevailed now, are often too strong, or because they don't know what they have unleashed. Uh, it was uh, mentioned at the time by a number of colleagues that Gorbachev neither understood economics, because of this immersion in Marxist-Leninist thinking, or what uh, we used to call in the trade the nationalities question, the fact that the uh, Soviet Union was a multinational empire, and that uh, anybody wanting to uh, organize the state, let alone rule it, had to come to terms with how to resolve this problem of dealing with about 40% of the country, which was non-Russian. This is where Stalin, for example, cut his teeth uh, as a politician. Uh, Brezhnev also had previous experience here. Gorbachev never understood this. He could not come to terms at all with nationalism and as a result, he disregarded the famous lesson of to- to Tocqueville that the dangerous time, most dangerous time for an autocracy is when it starts to reform. 
And reforming a multinational system means that the nationalities who were developing a sense of nationalism and a sense of being oppressed by Russia were increasingly uh, vocal about their demands and demanding independence, particularly as it became clear that Gorbachev's reforms did not work and the system as a whole did not work. So his legacy is, is quite tragic in that respect. On the other hand, he is the only man who gave the Russians freedom. The country in the late 80s and 90s, and you know, Craig and I and maybe Bob were traveling there, were incomparably freer than anything we had ever experienced in our previous trips there. My, my first trip was 1976, and it was pretty grim. I mean, uh, 20 years later, it was nothing like that. On the other hand, the economy had, had completely fallen apart, uh, and, there were, and they didn't seem to have any idea how to fix it. Same is true of the nationalities question, which, as you see, is still with us because of all the wars, not just Ukraine, uh, that have taken place on the uh, soil of the former Soviet Union, which are really wars over the spoils of empire. And that's, that's you know, it's a mixed legacy. On the one hand, freedom. On the other hand, a failure to understand what needed to be done. Craig, what, what are your thoughts on, on Gorbachev's legacy today? A, a mixed mixed record, as Steve paints it? What do you think? I have a more a positive read than, than Steve's. I think Gorbachev ha, has failings to ledger and but also success, cert, certain successes that I think are more enduring they haven't disappeared and been washed away. We, we have this tendency of personalizing Russian politics. It's all about Gorbachev after 1985. It's all about Putin today. We don't even talk about Russia. Putin, Putin, Putin. No, 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 no. Gorbachev was a product of a uh, of a uh, current that existed within the Soviet Communist Party. They were reforming a reformist current. Everybody knew who was who, who was on one side and who was on the conservative side. Remember that after a president passed away, we had a flip-flop, Ustinov, Chevinenko, that this was a, a trade-off between a reformer, Ustinov, and a, and, a, and a conservative. And then came Gorbachev. He picked up the mantle of a movement. He wasn't an isolated individual uh, with a magic wand. Uh, he, he he reflected a current of opinion within Soviet elites. And uh, they accomplished as, as a group, I think one very, they, they brought an end to what I would call Sovietism. The uh, structure of Soviet society and reality was shattered. It needed to be shattered. There was a deep-seated uh, awareness that that needed to happen. And uh, <clears throat> it was done. Whatever R Russia is today, it is not restoring Sovietism. That's gone. I, I, I would argue that anyway. Some people would argue against Gorbachev's initiative, which he wrote in this book, New Thinking. He, he did not impose that successfully, but it was a very prominent and promising and remains a promising initiative, which is dissolving before our eyes. And I don't think the blame here uh, should be placed on, Gorb on Gorbachev's ledger that it, it, I, it, we, we should sh accept some responsibility for the failure of, of this kind of transformative approach to international relations uh, with arms control as a significant foundation. That was a positive initiative which has not stood the test, with, which needs to be restored. But, but badly needs to be restored, and I wouldn't be very optimistic about it. And these are these are very powerful initiatives that were associated with Gorbachev and that have borne fruit, and that I would argue can continue to bear fruit. So that there's a there's more of a balance, I think, in this individual's record than uh, sometimes credited. All right, thanks, Craig. Bob, uh, let me turn to you. Uh, what do you think? More blame or more credit 
for uh, what Russia looks like today? Well, I think I'm going to uh, I'm going to set the fence here a little bit and say, uh, you know, there are there are marks on both sides of the ledger. And I would divide it into sort of internal and external legacies. Right. So externally, Gorbachev turned the Soviet Union toward the West and started a process of then post-Soviet Russia uh, integrating with the West, probably to a greater certainly more than any Soviet leader had, uh, maybe to a greater extent, Russia uh, the Soviet Union and then later Russia was integrated with the West and integrated into the global economic system and the global political system, maybe more than it had been since 1814 in the Congress of Vienna, right? So now that that integration is currently being dismantled and has been being dismantled since at least uh, the first invasion of Ukraine in 2014. Um, but uh, it remains to be seen what vestiges of his his, the Western turn that Gorbachev initiated uh, will survive. Um, so internally, I really would like to, to pull the string um, that, that, that Steve mentioned on the nationalities question, right? So <clears throat> the Soviet Union was an ethno-federal system, right? Where uh, groups were given uh, a political power institutions and a level of autonomy uh, tied to their language or ethnicity, right? There were 15 union republics of the, of the former Soviet Union. And then in many of the union republics were autonomous regions tied to ethnicity or language. So Gorbachev began a process of liberalization and of encouraging people to, to speak their minds, right? That's what Glasnost was all about, openness. And it was very tentative at first because there was a, not much trust in the Soviet Union at all that the leadership meant what it said about openness. And so if you look at the original sort of Soviet civil society organizations, many of them were based around environmental things, environmental movements, like, you know, after Chernobyl, uh, you know, there were these anti-Chernobyl groups very, very quickly uh, became co-opted by nationalist groups, right? And so you see what start as, as environmental movements in places like the Baltics um, and in places like even Ukraine and Belarus after Chernobyl, very quickly become nationalist movements. So I think Gorbachev failed to understand the extent to which the Soviet ethno-federal system, once you started to, to devolve power, would break down along ethnic and national lines. And, and so back on the positive side of the ledger, he was with a lot of help from, from I think Western partners and uh, able to manage the dissolution of the Soviet Union without the level of violence that many people expected it to have. That doesn't mean it was a nonviolent process. It wasn't nonviolent at all. It was very violent in some places, but there was not the whole scale civil war that many people expected um, once the system started to collapse. And I'd say a final thing in terms of his legacy, something that China has been looking at very closely is the pattern of liberalizing the political system and the economic system at the same time. Uh, which if you look at what China is doing, they, the lessons they learned from Gorbachev and the Soviet collapse was you never, ever want to liberalize both of these systems at the same time. You maintain political control as you liberalize the economy. And then at some point in the distant future, when the country is ready, maybe you start, start to devolve political power. So I would say that's a, an accounting of his, of his internal and external uh, legacies. And again, I'm sort of on the fence, right? I, he, he, he managed some things fairly well and other things uh, he, he set in motion processes that he couldn't control uh, and caused the collapse of the country that he was trying to reform. All right, Bob, you're actually leaning in the, in the direction I want to go next uh, with our discussion. And that is looking beyond 
just Russia and the impact on on Russia or the former uh, republics of the Soviet Union. And I, w- I want to ask you all about the the impact or the legacy of Gorbachev on the rest of Europe, Eurasia, maybe even beyond that. I mean, my own sense is that that it's probably no exaggeration to say that Gorbachev is one of the few leaders of the 20th century to have changed the very nature of the international system. I mean, I think we can count on maybe one hand uh, the number of leaders in the 20th century. I think along the lines of like FDR, for example, whose leadership, the policies they pursued or the strategy they pursued really did change the system of, uh, of, the, of the world, uh, of uh, international relations, if you will. Uh, many leaders are impactful when it comes to policy or strategy, but few have that kind of uh, that level of impact. Does that make sense from your your reading of things, or uh, what do you think stands out as most compelling? And Craig, let me turn to you first. I think uh, of the the four of us here, you probably have spent the most time teaching and working in Europe as a scholar, and so uh, looking beyond Russia's borders, what's your sense of this legacy? I, I was uh, I spent an academic semester at the, at the Humboldt University in uh, what was in the German Democratic Republic in 1987, and uh, a critical mass of students were walking around with Gorbachev pins on their lapels, uh, which was eye-opening. Uh, what were they celebrating? It, it was some sort of amorphous notion of freedom. Uh, this is what I mean by post-Sovietism. Uh, it was a powerful idea. There was Gorbimania era. We used to call it. Now, who, whoever thought that uh, reforming the Soviet Union was going to be easy? That would be a cake. Well, all you had to do was follow, do what the Chinese did. Uh, Deng Xiaoping showed the way. No, no, no. There's a different society, different, differently structured, very difficult, very challenging. Uh, Gorbachev made efforts and failed. I'm not sure anyone could have succeeded. I, I'm not sure that the Soviet Union was reformable, that some sort of breakdown was inevitable. I think that's very likely. Uh, he was working, you remember, on a, a new union treaty. Gorbachev was trying to impose a new union treaty that was uh, preempted by the, the coup. Uh, if there hadn't been that coup, remember that, again, I mentioned that Gorbachev represented a reformist wing of the establishment. There was a conservative wing, and those were the people, uh, basically the security establishment, who sponsored that failed coup and paved the way for Gorbachev's ouster and Yeltsin's emergence. Uh, if that hadn't happened, uh, could uh, a revised uh, Union Treaty have at least helped to manage the national question inside a new federation? It's not, in other words, the alternative outcomes were, were not impossible, but very difficult. I'm not sure that it's Gorbachev's failings, and Steve's quite right in saying there are many things he didn't understand uh, and had... Uh, Faith, he, he was a product of Soviets. I read Gorbachev's memoirs. He talks about going through his country as a young man at the end of World War II and seeing that country in utter ruin. Uh, that was the world he grew up in and made his career in. Uh, emerge, a country emerging from utter ruin imposed by war. The, the man w- would have had to work miracles to get through all this process of change. And he, I'm not sure anyone could have done better. That's not to deny his failings. It's it's to, it's to exaggerate the nature of the challenge. Bob, let me come back to you. What's your sense of the legacy beyond uh, the Russia and the former Soviet Union? Yeah, so I think what's most interesting and compelling to me is how differently he's perceived on opposite sides of the old Iron Curtain, right? So in the West, I think, John, you encapsulated uh, how we perceive him very well as someone who literally changed the nature of international relations, you know, ended the Cold War, and, and 
in cooperation with you know the the U.S. administration, the the Helmut Kohl administration in Germany, uh, you know some other Margaret Thatcher in the U.K. The French were involved, but you know peacefully managed the end of the Cold War and the dissolution of the Soviet Union. On the Warsaw Pact side of the uh, of the Iron Curtain and inside of the non-Russian republics of the f- former Soviet Union, there is a a much more negative assessment of him. Right, people when you talk to Eastern Europeans. And you talk to people, for instance, in in the Baltics or or in Georgia, they'll say this idea that he peacefully managed a dissolution of the Soviet Union is nonsense, right? I mean, in in Tbilisi in in April of 1989, uh, I I think 21 people were killed, right, by Soviet interior ministry troops as they were demonstrating for for Georgian, uh, for greater Georgian autonomy. In Vilnius in January 1991, 14 people were killed, 14 Lithuanians who were demonstrating for sort of Lithuanian autonomy and independence were killed by Soviet security forces. So when you talk to people uh, in the non-Russian republics of the Soviet Union, uh, the assessment of Gorbachev is is much more nuanced, I think, than it is in the West. And there's that they're always very quick to remind you uh, that he was in charge of the Soviet Union during some of its more brutal crackdowns against uh, its own people and its own republics. Steve, what's your sense of this of it of the legacy beyond Russia's borders? Well, beyond Russian's borders, <clears throat> I mean, there's no doubt that he's a great European statesman. I mean, I think that goes without saying. I used to joke that they ought to put up a statue, if they haven't, to, to him in Berlin as being with Bismarck, the two most responsible people for German unification. He, he did bring about the dissolution, at least of the external empire, to a considerable degree. It's his example and, I, and, and the spirit that he incarnates and the policies he chose. None of his predecessors would have simply allowed these states just to go uh, into thin air uh, without violence. I mean, although the Brezhnev administration recognized by 1981 that they could not use Soviet troops to subordinate Poland, they certainly weren't prepared to give up on East Germany, Czechoslovakia, as it was at the time, Hungary, Bulgaria, Romania, etc. Second, it's true that you have these cases of repression in in Lithuania and in uh, Georgia and ethnic violence in Azerbaijan, which we shouldn't forget because that's set the stage for the wars in Nagorno-Karabakh. But I think to most people in our profession, uh, the idea that the Soviet Union would collapse and that less than 100 people would be killed in the process, if you said that to them in 1985, they would have thought you're, you're crazy. Again, the, the failings are at, at home, uh, the successes are abroad, and of course, that's held against them. I mean, it, what's held against them is his failure to deal with the economic issues, of course, uh, the repressions that Bob mentioned. But by and large, the real issue is, as far as Russians are, go, he lost the empire. And that, I mean, the failure is also that he failed to transform the way Russians think about politics for all of the heroic efforts he made. New thinking did not put down deep roots in Russian society. And instead, the dominant intellectual currents, as far as thinking about politics go uh, today, are regressive, quasi-fascist, intel- uh, would-be, would-be intellectuals like Dugin uh, and so on, uh, who are in another universe compared to Gorbachev. So uh, it's, to me, he's a tragic figure. Well, Steve, the, uh, the loss of empire is a perfect segue to my last question for the three of you. And that is this, to try to consider Putin's Russia today in the context of what Gorbachev was trying to achieve. Uh, and I, I know there's no love lost between, uh, uh, or at least on the part of Putin toward Gorbachev. Of course, the news out of Moscow this morning is that Putin will not attend the funeral this weekend. 
But is it your sense that Putin, including through the war against Ukraine today, is perhaps trying to put the shattered empire back together uh, and in a way realizing what Gorbachev was unable to through Glasnost, Perestroika, and namely a reformed Russian empire? Are they actually fairly similar leaders in this way? Bob, let me start with you. I guess I would say they have one major thing in common, and that is they both inherited a country they believed was on the wrong path and set out to fix it. Gorbachev's prescription was liberalization of the economic and political system. Putin's was the reestablishment of order over the economic and political system. So I think, you know, that's that's one thing, one way in which they're similar. But I think in terms of their worldview, in, in terms of their sort of model of how the world works, uh, they almost couldn't be more different and still both be Russians. Putin will never reassemble the Soviet empire. It's gone. Russia has to deal with that and, 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 and figure out what Russia is as a post-imperial state, right? So Russia has the has the, the disadvantage that its empire was geographically contiguous uh, in, in ways that most European empires weren't, but the empire is gone. And so the question now is, um, for Putin, I think the question is, how much of the empire can he cobble back together? And then how is it going to be ruled and administered? But I don't think... I don't see any way in which even a, a rump Soviet Union can be can be reestablished. The, there's too much animosity uh, toward Russia and many of the non-Russian republics. Uh, and, and so in Russia just clearly doesn't have the military force to do it. Right. They're showing that in Ukraine every day. They don't have the military capability to reestablish uh, even a rump Russian empire. So, you know, I think I agree with I think Steve said it. Gorbachev was a tragic figure. But I think he was trying to do something that he saw that was in the interest of both the Russian people and European security more generally and humanity more generally, right? He was, at his core, I think Gorbachev was an idealist. Putin is not an idealist at his core. Putin is a very sort of dark, cynical, grievance-filled man uh, who has has set out to, to reestablish the interests of Russia and Russia alone. And he sees those in direct opposition to almost all of its neighbors and certainly to the West. Craig, let me, let me ask you the same kind of question about the intersection of Putin's war in Ukraine today and, and Gorbachev's legacy. What, what are your thoughts on that, uh, on that intersection? I was a student at uh, the old Leningrad State University in 1972-73. So Putin was my fellow student. I consider my fellow student not a dark, sinister force uh, my generation. Did he sign your yearbook, Craig? No. No. In fact, I never I never met him. I, he was just there. Aha, okay. But uh, the, the, so, so the collapse of the Soviet Union does not need to be and did not need to be regarded as a tragedy. The, the fact that Sovietism ended up, Soviet internationalism, if you will, ended up being replaced by a kind of primitive nationalism, not just in the Baltic states, Poland, Ukraine, and Russia too. Uh, divisive nationalism is, is is maybe the tragedy. There's there's not not more uh, a sense of integration. Some sort of open Balkan type initiative in post-Soviet space is missing. Uh, what we're you talk about dozens of people killed in rioting uh, in Perestroika. How many people are being killed in in Ukraine today as we speak? This is uh, this is still a product of this disintegration. In this case, the disintegration of the great power. I wouldn't characterize Putin's agenda as uh, recreating uh, the empire because, as Bob says quite correctly, it's impossible. It can't be done. It's not even a good idea. Uh, but he, he is committed to restoring Russia to its, its status as a great power. And uh, it's tearing 
pieces of the empire apart and turning them into hostile, uh, rhetorically uh, hostile uh, enemies is feeding uh, Putin's nationalism. Uh, That's the dynamic that spun out of Perestroika. That's part of Gorbachev's failure, certainly. Uh, That is a tragedy. Steve's right. And and I think that's what has to be addressed to be addressed. And and we we should be working harder at that, not feeding conflict, but trying to resolve it if, 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 if we want to get beyond this this ultranationalist phase of, of uh, Russian history we're in right now. Steve, you get the uh, the last word here. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Gorbachev's legacy in the context of what's uh, what is unfolding now tragically in Ukraine? Well, it's not just a question of Ukraine. It's really the totality of Putin's rule since he took power at the turn of the century. He has undone almost everything Putin, uh, almost everything Gorbachev has done. As Gorbachev said, it's apparently, you know, it's somebody just before he went in the, the hospital for the last time. The gulag is back. We are not, we are seeing ever more vicious attempts to impose a regressive 18th and 19th century ideology. I mean, there's nothing new to any of these ideas. I mean, I studied them in college and graduate school, and I can tell you they came out in the 18th and 19th century. Nicholas the <clears throat> Nicholas the first called it official. His, his minister of education. Uvarov called it official nationality. It hasn't gotten better with time. And yes, I do believe, unlike my colleagues, that he is trying to restore an empire, not the Soviet empire. That, that's finished, over, done with. But he is trying to restore the Russian empire. Maybe some, some idea of the czarist empire with elements of Soviet history thrown in. Just today in the Financial Times, he, there's a headline, he gave a speech again yesterday saying that you know the, the West is trying to make some sort of anti-Russian enclave in Ukraine. You know, that, that that tells you right there. Basically, this is uh, the mentality that Bob described. Russia is in a permanent state of war with the West, endless grievances. Russia is, objectively speaking, foreordained to be a great power, which means empire. And nobody has any right to, right to stand in the way of this and so on. Uh, Gorbachev's great insight, and it's unique among Russian statesmen, is that Russia would have more security if it was not imperial, and that it would benefit Russia if the countries on its border were free, independent, secure governments. This goes against centuries of Russian statecraft. He was right, but because he failed at home, his successors cannot accept those ideas and have plunged Europe into a state of war. And it's not just Putin. It's so all the people around him and all the ideologists who, you know, contribute to this kind of thinking. I mentioned Dugin, there are others, perhaps not as extreme, but nonetheless, every bit as uh, psychophantic uh, as Soviet intellectuals were about uh, the necessity for empire and so on. And Gorbachev's legacy is ultimately, however flawed, one of peace. Putin's will be one of war and the police state. This is a man who brought back the gulag. What more can you say about a a disaster uh, than that? Well, it's a rather uh, pessimistic note to end on, uh, but perhaps that's the uh, the nature of uh, Putin's Russia today. Dr. Bob Hamilton, Dr. Craig Nation, and Dr. Steve Blank, uh, I am really grateful that you all were able to join us today at SSI Live. It's been a pleasure to speak with you all and to to gain the benefit of your your wisdom and insights. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, John. Thank you. You can now find SSI Live on TuneIn Radio and on popular podcast directories like Stitcher and at the iTunes Store. If you have any comments on our podcasts, thoughts on what you'd like to see addressed, or a response to something you heard here at SSI Live, please go to our website. That's ssi.armywarcollege.edu. Find me, John Denny, in the staff directory, 
and send me an email. I look forward to hearing from you. For the SSI Live podcast series, I'm John Denny. Thanks for listening.